Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA. Today's episode is with my friend Aram Arslanian, who you may know from bands like Champion and Betrayed. He also runs React Records. And what you might not know about him is that he's also the founder and CEO of a company called Cadence Leadership, which is an executive leadership and communications coaching firm. And he is a big fan of Youth Crew Hardcore, just like I am. And it may seem like those things are not connected, but they are, as we talk about in this episode. This one's a little long, but that's because this stuff is super important. What we talk about here is we start off by talking about like some of our favorite youth of today and shelter songs and kind of what we learned from them and the values and ideas there. And then in the second half of this, we talk about how we have put those into action in our life and specifically about knocking down some of this like self-limiting thinking that I have noticed so much in the scene. I mean, since the beginning, but just especially over the past couple years, as my audience has grown, I've just seen these consistent patterns of negative self-limiting thinking in the scene that I've kind of dedicated myself to at least doing what I can to knock those things down. So that's what we get into in this episode. This is a topic I feel super, super strongly about. So I really hope that you stick around for the whole thing. This is a good one. But before I get into it, I wanted to mention a couple ways that you can support the show if you are so inclined. Number one, you can sign up for the Punk Rock NBA newsletter. That is an email that I send out every week that has a link to all the content that I've put out on my main channel, second channel, podcast, any press or other kind of media appearances that I do. Link to all that as well as links to what Deanna and I are reading and listening to and watching. Super simple, no spam or ads. I'll never share or sell your email or anything like that. So you don't have to worry about that, but this will help you keep tabs on all the stuff that I put out if you would like to do that. Second thing you can do if you really like us is you could support on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. That really helps a lot. That's the way that we're able to hire Deanna, who is our amazing producer and editor that makes the whole thing happen. But before we get into this episode, let me answer a few of your questions. From Vin L. I am kind of sick of the we need to talk about videos. 
Well, there's two things that I want to touch on here. First of all, I always appreciate feedback on any of my videos, uh, and it doesn't have to be positive feedback. I take negative feedback very seriously. You know, there's lots of times where people have told me that they don't like something that I do, and even if I don't necessarily want to hear that, and maybe at first it makes me a little bit butthurt, there's times where I'm like, all right, I guess, you know, they've got a point. I should probably stop doing that, or I should do more of this, whatever. I do listen to negative feedback, and I think everybody should listen to negative feedback. You shouldn't necessarily take all of it to heart. You know, don't just mindlessly do whatever your comments say. But if you're not listening to negative feedback, I think that's a missed opportunity to be better. So I appreciate comments that offer constructive criticism. But the problem with a comment like this is you didn't tell me why you're sick of it. And so because of that, I don't really know what to do with this. And even if I wanted to respond to this. I couldn't because I don't really know what you're saying here. All you, all I know is you're sick of them. Does that mean I did too many of them too quick together? Do you just not like that format? Do you not like the people that I talked about there? Is there something specific in those videos that you didn't like? So if you're going to give somebody negative feedback like this, tell them why. Go a little bit deeper. Instead of just saying, I don't like this, tell them why you do or don't like it. The second thing I wanted to talk about is that series of videos, why I do it, what the point of it is, and why I'm going to keep doing them even though this person is sick of them. The simplest thing is like they do really well. I enjoy doing them and they get a lot of views. I've done, I think, four of them now. Uh, one of the first one is about Ronnie Radke, which is my second most popular video of all time. It has like 1.2 million views now, I think. I also did them about Fred Durst, Haley Williams, and Bam Margera. And the reason why I started doing these is because of what I talked about in my video a couple weeks ago. Um, basically, I noticed that, you know, T videos, drama videos, like the rise and fall of so-and-so kind of videos do really well. And I will never do those kind of videos because as I talked about in that one, like I don't want to do negative stuff about anybody. That's just not what I'm here to do. But... I can kind of take advantage of the fact that people like drama and tea videos by doing this series that on its face seems to be drama and tea, but actually isn't. So the format for all these videos, for anybody who hasn't seen them, I call it, we need to talk about so-and-so, which is kind of vague and makes you think that it's going to be negative, but it's not. In the video, always the, the format of these is where I essentially talk about some of the common criticisms of the person in the video and why I don't agree with those or why those criticisms may be somewhat true but don't tell the whole story. But ultimately, these are positive videos about whoever I'm talking about that acknowledge the criticisms or acknowledge some of the things that may not be great about this person. But ultimately, they end on a positive note because that's just what I want to do with the channel. And that enables me to capitalize. I don't want to say take advantage of because that sounds bad, but people want videos like this about individuals with big personalities with a lot of charisma and accomplishments like people want me to talk about these people and i want to do it and this gives me an opportunity to do so so you know there's just really no reason why i wouldn't do it again the key is that i always want to have this be something that's positive and ideal of some sort of a larger lesson there for example with fred durst the big takeaway was you know, that he understood how to kind of play the heel to his advantage, that he was playing a character because that's what people wanted from him. With Haley Williams, kind of the takeaway there is that 
people want to make her out to be the bad guy or bad girl, you know, in this situation because she was a bigger star than the rest of the band. But that's just business. You know, it's she can't help the fact that she is more valuable to a record company than the other people in the band. And we should stop pretending like she did something wrong there because I don't think she did. I also did one about, oh, yeah, I did one about Franz from Attila, which is similar to the one uh, about Fred Durst, where, you know, I think he plays a, a bit of a heel, um, but that he also has, you know, I think a pretty solid positive message there about, um, about you know, he has the, the, man, the word manifest tattooed on his face about, you know, how you can make you're the, you can create the life that you want. But anyway, the point is that these are ultimately positive videos in which I take advantage of the fact that people want me to talk about other humans. And if you're sick of them, I am receptive to that idea. I would love to hear more, but you're going to have to tell me more specifics if you want me to do anything with that. So either way, thank you for the comment. I hope that was helpful and I will see you next time. And with that out of the way, let's get into this awesome episode. Aram, welcome to the podcast. Happy Thursday. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I know uh, we were just talking about your your dog troubles, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he won't bite anybody while we're on the call. If he does, then I understand we can edit it out. It is awful. It's like having integrity at their prime be your pet that <laughs> wow. interacts with everyone else, and it is terrible. Meaning, I love integrity, but that viciousness of them at their prime is what I've got in a dog. The willingness and sort of interest in attacking random people just because you can. Absolutely. It's like Cleveland Fest personified <laughs> in one creature. Whew. Well, you have my sympathies. We have done one podcast before, which I think was awesome. And I don't want to just redo that podcast, although I that would be enjoyable for me. But I think I would like to give people some, some new stuff So here. So as I was talking about earlier, I've had a little bit of a shift in kind of how I have been thinking about the content, especially on my second channel, which I will talk about in a minute. But first, I thought we could talk about my other mini mission to spread the gospel of a few bands that I don't think get discussed enough. So I thought maybe we could talk, start by talking about them. And I think some of the things we talk about there will kind of dovetail into the other stuff. So first of all, tell me your thoughts on Youth of Today. I want to see where we may overlap or differ on this band. Like my thoughts on them as opposed to other bands or where they fall in the punk hardcore lexicon or just them in general? Well, specifically, I mean, I don't think their music is the best. I think it's pretty good, but I don't think it's the best. You know, like musically, I think Project X is better, but I think lyrically and ideology, ideologically, to me, they're like the Black Sabbath of... Uh, I guess what you would call positive hardcore. I mean, to mm. me, that was just like an absolute lightning bolt moment when I got break down the walls, which, you know, has really stuck with me ever since. So that's kind of my angle on them. What do you think? From a musicianship standpoint, they are actually an incredible band. So like if you sit down and listen to We're Not In This Alone, the the songwriting is really 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 good and it, it kind is. of blows my mind that like kids wrote this stuff so the recording is kind of screwed up which we all know like the story about it and that makes that record sound not as well written as it is but like the rhythms the rhythm section and what they do with like the different picking styles and the way they like place rhythm in a song is far and above most hardcore bands like 
I would say one of the worst things that's happened to hardcore or into aggressive music is that you've got these iconic bands that then people are becoming derivative of those bands rather than focusing on the bands that came that influenced those iconic bands. And like, so if you've got music becoming derivative of each generation, when you get like the most washed, washed out bogus stuff, Youth of Today was influenced by like crazy like rock bands, like insane musicians and reggae and funk and all this stuff. And you can hear it in we're not in this alone like that songwriting is incredible so from a songwriting perspective i gotta i gotta disagree with you man i think they're really good okay fair fair enough uh, yeah i mean if you're if we're talking about hardcore sure fair enough i would say there's probably not a lot of rock bands that are writing songs that well man like these are well-written songs like like okay if, if we look at break yeah, down the walls that is what most bands would max out at in terms of like a hardcore band in terms of songwriting like and it those are really well-written songs but that's like straight up great hardcore writing although we're not in this alone is clearly a hardcore record i'd say the songwriting is like that's like almost like pop sensibilities in terms of songwriting like really really thoughtful well put together songwriting so that's the one side i see where you're coming from i i can more or less agree with that well and then it's we go over to the disengage seven inch and it's even further down that path absolutely i absolutely agree with that from a lyrical standpoint, yeah, like, you know, they'd be, they'd definitely be the Sabbath of hardcore. But the thing that I like about that, and you remember, like, you know, Youth of Today, it's like huge, huge band, right? And like, I wasn't seeing Youth of Today at that time. Yeah. But afterwards, there's this idea like, wow, like they must be good people, you know, and like shelter, <laughs> shelter's happening. It's like, wow, those guys must be good people. But then you start hearing like, no, yeah. like no, no, that's not true. Like so and so. Well, don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> right. So this is something that I, I, I kind of learned more as an adult that I've really like. I like, and I actually really like this idea, is that you can write a song, and aspire to be that way, and not be that way all the time. And I remember I was talking to I, I won't name the name, but it's like a former a former band member of Ray Capo of of all of his different projects. And this person and I were talking uh, over a over like a bonfire where in someone's backyard in their like their fire pit. And this guy said it to me as if he'd said like the most wise shit of all time. He was like, "I just realized Ray Capo, he's not those songs aren't about him because he's like that." he's he, those songs are written because he wishes he was like that and he said it to me with this like as if i was going to be like yeah fuck that guy yeah. but instead i was like yeah and and by the way like i was in my 40s at this point i was like right. well, <laughs> right. yeah man do you think like you write a song like honesty and that means forever you're going to be like perfectly right, right, honest right. like i have never told a lie yeah i'm like dude if you hand me your demo tape i'm going to tell you it's great when in reality i probably right, didn't right. even fucking listen to it and i'm <laughs> right. telling you that to spare you and me because I didn't ask for your fucking demo tape. I don't really want to listen to it. And like, does that make me dishonest? No, it makes me fucking smart. Like, yeah, it makes you us. You are setting yourself up for disappointment by forcing me to lie. Yeah, totally, man. And so like, I just view this style of hardcore as aspirational. 
And like, I yes. aspire to be the best person I could be. I aspire to be honest more than I'm not. I aspire to be this. I aspire to be that. And then you work towards that. That, that makes it better to me. I agree. But I also think the same could be true about like thuggish music, right? Because like- 100%, yeah. It's like, you got all these hard songs, but it's not like these guys are like walking down the street, just like beating up babies and like, you know, throwing old ladies through windows. Like if you actually did this stuff, you would have been in jail at least at some point. <laughs> Man, and these are people that are like typically like a lot of thuggish guys or people that I know are very nice and like have like yeah. a good sense of community and all that, and they can they can act like that. So like hardcore, I think, is caught in this trap of like you write this song and then you're this cartoonish version of that. When in reality, we're just people like who are aspiring to be certain ways, and sometimes yeah. we're good at it, and sometimes we suck at it. I mean, it wouldn't be a very good song if you're like, you know, uh, sometimes I'm kind of like this, but not always. And, you know, if I'm realistic, it's like a 70-30 thing at best. You know, that wouldn't be a very good hardcore song. Totally. And like, that's why I kind of feel like emo and like songs that are about like more about love or songs that are just about being like, like bummed out and like super like anxious and depressed are a bit more like an honest representation because like, you know, some like awkward dude from the Midwest that like can't get a date worth his life. If he's writing that song, he actually means that shit like 24 seven, right? <laughs> True. No, I actually do hate myself because <laughs> I think I'm going to be alone forever. That's real. <laughs> right. And so that's person, that's a person who's like 100% of the time living that truth. And like right. emo is like in a way like pretty like real, real to day-to-day -day music in a way. Well, the reason that, that the Youth of Today stuff, you know, break down the walls in particular, because when I was, when I got into them, which was like maybe 92 or so, it was actually really hard to get We're Not In This Alone. It took me years to get it. So Break Down the Walls was the, the album for me. The reason that hit so hard for me is because at that time, I was struggling really hard with all the same things that he talked about in those songs. You know, and even at like 14 or 15 because of my mom. So for anybody who's listening that hasn't heard it, you know, my mom was in AA and stuff and she had a lot of bad things happen to her when she was a kid. So she, you know, was a pretty fucked up person, but she tried really hard to improve herself. And I sort of learned from her example and, you know, she would read whatever A Course in Miracles and whatever her self-help stuff was. And for me, like listening to you today, it was the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I put like conscious effort into, you know, correcting behaviors that I didn't like about myself. Uh, and so that's what I really responded to is I could feel that same thing. It's not like I am this. It's like I really want to be this. And it's like a, a an internal struggle to be the person that I aspire to be. And that's what I really connected with. Totally, man. And so for me, I grew up in Catholic school, which is like the most cartoonish, you know, like be good, be all this. And if you're not, if you make some little mistake, feel terrible guilt about it forever. When I was growing up, you know, I, I fought a lot and I was bullied a ton because of my name and where I grew up. And I also had a super unstable home life. So I already was thinking like, oh, like this whole framework, this Catholic framework. And because of like the kids that I was fighting and that were bullying me were all in the uh, Catholic system and the teacher's not that they should have necessarily done anything, but like nobody was doing anything to help this like yeah. awkward ass kid. And so I remember thinking like, wow, all this stuff is bullshit. And why I was drawn specifically to youth crew was like, I wasn't like, despite what was going on in my life, I was always kind of like more, more positive thinking. Like I always wanted to find a way forward. And I liked that. And what probably attracted me to it was more, it had almost like, religion without religion, like be a good yeah. person, but be a good yep. person. Cause that's what you should do. Of course, as I got older and like, you know, I 
developed my own like stupid habits and I made my mistakes. I'm like, Oh no, you're not just like this. You got to work at being like this. Mm -hmm. And that's why the music still like resonates with me. Well, speaking of religion, how about shelter? Love them. I I love them. And just dude, stop, stop at after mantra. Like, what are you doing beyond planet earth is like, I was just debating with some friends about this. That is a garbage pile record. Like in a way it's like objectively better, but it's worse in every way. Oh, dude, totally. And I get it. Like, you know, it was the time and you thought you were like, I I believe like Mantra did really well for them. Mm -hmm. And I know they toured with No Doubt and all that. I think they did really well in like Brazil. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like they played like a stadium in Brazil. Yeah. I know they probably felt like this is going to be our next step record and we have to take some risks here. But yo, that record stinks. (laughs) Well, it became more to me at that point, it became more about the music than the you know, the message. I mean, especially like in the first few Shelter records, I feel like I had the same feeling with Youth of Today where it feels like Ray, and I would assume Porcel, but I don't know, like he is struggling really. He's he's putting a tremendous amount of effort into changing the way he thinks and acts. And And it feels very, I guess, tortured might be the word. And that was missing even on Mantra, to me, it's kind of not there. So it's those first few that I, which are like musically, I think are pretty bad for the most part. Some of them are good, but that feeling and the ideas in those lyrics, like I still read those lyrics and they're more fucking relevant in 2020 than they were in 1991 or whatever. It's amazing. Like photographs lie could be about fucking Instagram or TikTok. 100%. That stuff was written like based off like ancient wisdom. And so, yep. of course, it like transcends time uh, and I think can adapt to the changes of society because it's like all of that stuff, like news, like, you know, that that song, it's like, oh, shit, like, yeah, actually, I do want the news on me. Like, that makes sense, yep. especially with like how we're bombarded. And I'm not like some like, oh, fake news. Like, I'm not one of those yeah, people, yeah. but like, yo, the news is insane. You don't know what's true or not true anymore. It's definitely not healthy to be uh, overly focused on the news in general. That's for sure. I don't think anybody could agree with that. The interesting thing is like being so focused on news outlets or um, focused on Instagram or whatever, it draws us away from self-knowledge. So like that mm-hmm. song is so relevant. So Early Shelter, it's kind of like how I feel about the Ray and Porcel record. It's like, yeah, yeah, those songs are fucking awesome, but they're not awesome in the way Youth of Today is awesome because they're yeah. not like a finely articulated band. It's not like a fully realized band that's putting out its best work. It's like guys who are like, now that we don't do that, what do we do? Yeah. And I dug that they kind of were figuring out their stuff, but the lyrics were killer, like super on point. I like that Ray was trying different things with his voice. Mostly it sounded cool, but sometimes it sounded a little lame. But even in the lameness, it kind of sounded cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely really into it. But again, like I love hearing stories about that, those guys at that time, because it's like, well, you know. Well, think, think about the kind of person you have to be to live that lifestyle and make that kind of decision in like fucking 1987. I know, man. I know. You're not a normal person. No. You know, for better or for worse. Well, you're super young. Ray Capo was essentially like famous at this point. Yeah. uh, Before the internet. Famous enough to have all the kind of ego problems and stuff that come with being, you know, in the public eye, I'm sure. Totally. And had people who were treating him like he was like, you know, a god, basically. Yeah. Name one person who wouldn't make like 
pretty ridiculous mistakes in a situation like that. Sure. And he was like 20. Yeah, man. Totally. So I'm a huge shelter fan. I think they're great. I think anything past mantra is like regrettable. I know people are like, oh, when 20 summers pass, blah, blah. It's like, just you're just stop, go do something cooler. Like that's. <laughs> I've never even listened to more than like 30 seconds of most of that stuff. And it's just, you know, just not for me. There's not a song on any one of those records that's worth your time because you are a busy person who has a lot to add into the world. It doesn't mean those yeah. songs aren't okay, but there are better versions of those songs sung by other bands. Right. It was just such an interesting thing for me. And I'd be interested to hear what your reaction was. For a lot of people, I think, and maybe I've already told you this, but I'll say it for anybody who hasn't heard it. So for anybody who doesn't know, the thing with Shelter is they were a Hare Krishna band, which Hare Krishna is essentially like some sort of, as it was explained to me by an Indian guy, like the Seventh-day Adventists of, uh, of Hindus. And at the time, that was crazy. Like, that was so out of left field for there to be like a Hare Krishna hardcore band, which I guess still would be pretty out of left field. But I think for most people, that was like really bizarre. But it wasn't for me because my mom was really into this guy named Paramahansa Yogananda, who talked about a lot of stuff like the concept of Veil of Maya. Some people might know the band Veil of Maya. That's like a Hindu concept that I learned about when I was a kid. So for me to hear Shelter, it was like a weirdly perfect combination of all the stuff I'd heard my mom talk about so many times. But coming from Ray Capo, you know, I was much more inclined to listen to it than coming from my mom. So I feel like I was like a weirdly perfect audience for Shelter. And it made perfect sense to me from like the first time I heard it. What was your reaction to that side of the band? The spiritual side of it? Yeah. I ate it up and I still eat it up. So growing up, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way to end of high school. Um, but pretty quickly, like bowed out of the idea of there being um, God. Like I'd say by the time I was in what is the age you stop believing in God? Like if you're a punk, I don't know, like grade eight, 10 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like something like that. Like, yeah, that's when I was like, no, no, this isn't for me, but I had grown up in that structure. So I was drawn to like morality tales or, or philosophy, but also it's like, dude, if you're just a kid growing up and you're not into religion, not many kids are going to be like, well, I'm going to go figure out some deep ass philosophy. I'm going to go get yeah. like the, the modern philosophers or the ancient philosophers. Yeah. Like, I got to say, and people can challenge me on this all you want, like, yo, Ray Capo probably did, a, has done a lot for the common hardcore person's spiritual life in terms of them, like, really thinking adequately. Absolutely. Yeah, about, like, spiritual ideas to get, he's probably given them just enough to get them into the thing that that should guide them. Yeah, I mean, I was reading fucking you know, books about the Bhagavad Gita when I was 14 because of him. How else would that happen? Totally. So like, you could be like, oh, you know, this guy from this band or that band. It's like, yo, this this dude actually has done some really significant shit that definitely spoke to the spiritual life of lots of people. Now, whether or not people think people should be into like spiritual life, I don't, whatever. It's not for yeah. me to say, but I, I was definitely into it. I never became Krishna or Buddhist or anything like that, but I, I really did apply a lot of that thinking to my life. For sure. Can I take a quick sidebar? Yes. I was totally fascinated by the reaction within the scene to Shelter where people are like, how dare you bring religion into this? They were furious. Furious. Can I tell you what I think totally encapsulates how I feel punk deals with debates? (laughs) Yeah, I want to hear this. Born against sick at all argument on the radio. I have I heard a tape of that maybe 20 years ago, so I don't remember it well. Okay. But I remember hearing it when I was maybe 21 or something, be like, 
these guys sound like fucking idiots. On like both sides, right? Yes. <laughs> I was expecting this to be some like epic, you know, Clash of the Titans. And I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? And about the stupidest shit ever. <laughs> Weren't they debating about like barcodes? Barcodes! Yeah. <laughs> but like, okay, this is what, like, this is how I would define it. It's like serious fucking issues going on in the world. Like all of this, like really important stuff. Punks will pick the lowest hanging, stupidest fruit to disagree about. And in that disagreement, there's literally actually no value that could possibly come from right, it. There's right. no juice to distill from the fruit right. at all. It's like kids fighting over a Lego while the house is on fire. Right. While making sure that they're being seen doing it. <laughs> right. And it's like, yo, I just want to be clear. Like, if you look at both sides of that sick fit all born against argument, these are like really creative. super smart people who have gone on to do really cool things. And I'm sure to be, to be fair, I'm sure neither of them would agree that that was their finest moment. Oh no, no. Cause they were kids. Yeah. I'm sure that they probably feel the same way we do. I think Sam from born against has actually made fun of himself for how he sounded on that. I'm pretty sure he did. I don't want to put words. Probably. Yeah. But like that to me totally encapsulates it. Like, dude, you're young. And I'm not saying all young people are like that. I'm just saying they were young. But these people are like super creative, super fucking smart, and have gone on to do really, really cool things. But there's this application of all this like super intense energy, debating and fighting about something that literally has actually zero intrinsic value to anybody. Yeah, very poor ability to choose their priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, lots, lots of energy and oftentimes willing to just put in real work, but maybe not great at choosing where to focus it. Totally, man. And so like, if I think of stuff about punk, it's like, why are you fucking wasting your time on yeah. this stupid bullshit? Like if you apply that same energy in a unified force to like literally anything that actually anything. mattered and there's actual value that can come out of it, some shit could happen. And some like people- Like the scandal over some band's hoodies being too expensive. Yeah, who- f- who fucking cares? So like <laughs> literally the least important thing on earth. Or like, how dare this band be religious? Really? Like, right, you, right. do I care? Do I listen to Christian hardcore? No, it's not. It doesn't appeal sure. to me. Do I give a shit and say that it shouldn't exist? No. Why do I care? Like, and that's a stu- it's going to it's going to exist whether or not I make an Instagram post about it anyways. Sure. So who fucking cares? Like, why do, do I need you, to take up that space? Do you think it would be productive to discuss the specifics of the ideas within their religion or no? No. Because I do. In the punk scene, like in a debate space or just in general? Well, I guess to me, I think there were some, I guess it would be charitable to call them debates. A lot of them were just kind of dumb arguments, but there were, I think, a lot of, I don't know, let's say they're dumb arguments, but over some of these things, you know, under the heading of, say, religion and veganism and, you know, hardline and all this stuff back in the day that people argued about that, uh, you know, I suppose if you look at the particulars, we're probably dumb. But in the macro, they made people think about stuff like you said, like Krishna, that otherwise wouldn't have been on the radar at all, which to me is a good thing, even if there was the signal to noise ratio was probably not great. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I just, I guess where I, where I would come from it is like, I don't want to be like, oh, everybody just like, you know, just make space for everyone. I'm certainly not saying that, but like, I would just say that like when shelter came in, I did not care. I didn't care in a negative way. Like I grew up in a religious home and I rebelled against that religion, 
but I didn't give a shit that someone was being religious. If anything, I just paid attention to it. I picked up what I felt was useful and I left behind what I didn't think was useful. Should everyone be like that? I don't know. Do whatever you want. But the last thing I wanted to argue about at the time was whether or not shelter should exist because they did exist. And it, it was a useless argument. <laughs> right. The sky should be green. I know. It's like, dude. <laughs> I've had enough of this fucking blue sky. <laughs> like, okay. Like, you don't want there to be barcodes on records? Well, noted there's going to be barcodes on records. You don't want shelter to be a band? Well, shelter yeah. is a band. Their records exist. And as far as I see, they're not doing any anything. Like, you could extend that to, do you want there to be racist bands? Well, it's like, well, that's a totally different ideology. And like, that's, that's and that's, con that's actually consequential. It may actually harm people. Right. Exactly. So it's like, you know, if we extrapolate the argument too far, then it just gets utterly ridiculous. Like, of course not. We don't want racist bands yeah. in the scene. That's a totally different thing. Well, that's, that's the classic punk debate tactic is choose the most extreme cartoonish, <laughs> bad faith interpretation of your argument. Totally. And, and assume that you believe it. <laughs> totally, man. Oh, well, you must be saying. I know I went off there, but like for anyone who didn't grow up around that time, it's like people's reaction to shelter was insane and like yeah. in a negative way. And I was always just shelter like, derangement syndrome. Yeah, totally. I was just psyched to be exposed to different ideas via like Eastern philosophy. Followed by earth crisis derangement syndrome a few years later. And dude, earth crisis were so sick and so important and, and, and really name bands in general that have had that level of impact on the environment around them. Like, I don't just mean hardcore bands, like sure. Culturally world. that band changed so much shit. Like for real. Yeah. And like, I, just like you said, people went fucking ape shit about earth crisis. Well, the last band I wanted to, to, to mention and see what you're right. I don't know if you'll have a reaction mm -hmm. to this band or not, because it seems like the kind of band that you might just shrug about. Uh, but, a band that I personally would include on that list of super important bands to me is Downset. I love Downset. Do you? I okay, tell me, give me your thoughts. Um, well, first of all, Downset, if I was in Downset, I would be like, damn, why are we not as popular as Rage Against the Machine? Mm -hmm. Well, I think they probably, <laughs> I think they probably did have that conversation. But think about it. They wrote really cool records. Like their records, the songs are actually very well written. Yes. Their appeal was literally across genres and not in like a, a stupid way or a dated way. Like you could play a downset record now from people from all sorts of different genres and they'd be like, oh, that's a cool record. Yep. So well-written records across genres, but not in a corny way. The record sounded good. The record looked cool. Yep. Why weren't they a bigger band? Well, it's a good question. I, I would like to ask one of them that question because they, they might have a good answer. But to me, I think that they were a little bit too authentic. I mean, they're talking about some pretty specific stuff that, again, it was like a weird combination of like that they would have songs that would reference kind of obscure, like Old Testament stuff like Gog and Magog and like Krishna stuff and like LA graffiti stuff in the same song is a pretty obscure, weird little bundle of things that I feel like was specifically made for me. <laughs> So there's that, and uh, you know they had a lot of screaming and stuff, and I don't know. It seems like it might be just a little bit too much, but then again, you know that was a couple years after you know Snoop and Dre blew up, and that stuff was full of the same shit. So I, I don't know. It's a good question. I do have a theory about it because also Downset put out multiple good records. Not even good. They put out multiple great records. Yes. How could that band not have gotten? Bigger. Ray, with all due respect to him, is not as charismatic as Zach is. I think he might be more talented musically, but he's not as charismatic. 
Right. So you hit right on it. Is I don't Zach know, is super charismatic. I don't know if they fit into like the trope of what a popular band is supposed to be. Like, are they charismatic enough as a group? Do they look the right way? Like, do yeah. they do they show up the right way in interviews? Like, I think that might be a classic example of a band that was totally positioned to be like that but they might not have had that just like extra spotlight factor that would have given them that push. What did you think of them as far as lyrics and ideology goes? Love it, man. I, I, I feel like that band was, was like super fucking real. Like I, I think those are like, cause they were as much inward facing as outward facing. Cause you know, yep. like a band can point fingers at everyone else and be, it should be like this. It should be like that. I think they were also like quite reflective about themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I think that band is just, straight up a great 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 band i don't know why i didn't expect that from you but uh i didn't well all right so we so we agree youth of today shelter and downset important bands and why do you think it is i you know we travel in somewhat different circles as far as music goes from what i see i don't really see people talk about youth of today all that much versus i mean even when i started getting into them I remember the older you know, hardcore kids would laugh at me, kind of look at me like, you still listen to Youth of Today? Like, what? I'm like, well, that's not cool anymore. We listen to Unbroken now, kid. Totally perfect, man. <laughs> that's, that's, dead, that's dead on. Or like we listen to American Nightmare. Yeah, right, right. And I feel like they just don't really get as much love as, say, Chrome Eggs or something like that. Okay, so this goes to something that I think is the actual truth. And I don't mean it in a negative way towards Unbroken yeah. or American Nightmare or Cro-Mags at all, because I love Unbroken. I have an Unbroken tattoo. I do too. Oh, you do? Mm -hmm. uh, I have life, love, regret on my on my shoulder, as was the style at the time. <laughs> That's right. Before before the nautical stars. Yeah, actually, I got both at the same time. There we go. <laughs> Why not? Oof. All right. And so I love... I'm broken still. I like American Nightmare and Chromags me. Chromags yeah. kind of like they yeah, yeah, they've done it to themselves. But yeah. This is what I really think. Being dark and depressed is attractive to people. Yes. Negativity bias is real. Yeah. And and it looks cool. It sounds cool. You know, it's attractive to other people. Like a person who's like really dark and writes dark lyrics and kind of a tortured soul is fucking attractive to other people. There's like yep. a mystique about it. And being from the streets and being hard yep. is attractive, yep. right? And the youth of today is the exact opposite of those things. I know, and both of them, I don't wanna say either one of those are Ill illegitimate at all, but as being a guy where, that grew up being really into youth of today, but I also like, you know, I was laughing about this the other day, I did a, a podcast with someone else and like, I've really reversed my stance on posers. And, and let me tell you why. This is important stuff. Yeah. Speaking of punk debates on important topics. Because <laughs> talking about, oh, like, don't be a poser. It's like, oh, really? Have you never posed about anything in your life? I'm like, yeah. no, you know what? I definitely have. And like, I'll get sure. to that in one second, but it's like, dude, call, like being harsh on posers is basically saying like, everyone needs to be perfect and nobody's allowed to be insecure and nobody should do things because they're insecure. And I think it's like really toxic. So yep. Trey um, from death wish. And I talked about this one time and he was talking about how he's like, Oh man, like if you think about toxic masculinity, calling people posers is like right up there. Cause it's this like real chest beating. Like you got to be real mm -hmm. dude. Like real according to the arbitrary criteria that me and my friends set. Totally man. And like, 
you know, like, I don't want to be like, cool, don't be a gatekeeper. Like, fuck, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. Like nobody, yeah. nobody's going to not do something because I'm saying it. But like, this is what I'll say is like, for myself, I think about when I was playing in like, you know, like we'll use the term like melodic hardcore band. I was very sensitive to looking like a wimp and I wanted mm-hmm. people to think I was tough. So I used to like, kind of like amp up that I was some kind of like tougher dude. Yeah. And I've been in my share of fights, but like, dude, look at me. I'm like this like skinny wimp. Like I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not a thuggish dude, but I would definitely like walk it. Like I was a lot harder. And that's like a poserish move. Maybe you, maybe you could have paid Isaac enough to let you like, you know, stage a fight where you beat him up in front of everybody. Well, you know, Isaac like and how I, much, how much would I have to pay you? We're friends now, just so you know. And so he would cut you a deal. Isaac and I have from being on his podcast just recently, we have now crossed the the border. So like, I don't have to pose of being tough anymore. I've got like, I'm under his umbrella of toughness. There we go. I believe. Yeah. No, but like the reason I'm saying this is like, Yo, man, it is fucking okay if you're insecure and you've done some stupid shit and you look, you look like it's okay to admit that you've been a poser at some point. Give yourself some mercy, but give other people mercy. Everyone's just trying to figure this shit out. And that's one of the most toxic fucking things about punk. I actually did a podcast about five years ago where I was like, don't be a poser and blah, blah, blah. And like, I think that's the most embarrassing thing I've ever fucking said. Like, you know what? If you're a poser, I totally get it, man. I have posed. I've done stupid shit before, and I have nothing but like understanding for someone that's. I would rather be around a nice poser than a mean person with a ton of credibility. And that's what happens. It's like, yo, you've got that like. And a lot of them are me- are pretty mean. Fucking mean people, man. And and I just realized something. I don't like mean people, and I don't want to be a mean person. I'm with you. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, 
You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And let's get back into it. Well, that uh, brings me to the second sort of thing I wanted to talk about. Like I mentioned when we were talking earlier, you kind of inspired me to have a little bit of a shift here in, in my content in general, but in particular, like on my second channel. The vision that I had for that channel originally was kind of a, a, about telling people how to do certain things like in business and your career and stuff like that to use your framework, the skill set to do these things. And what I realized kind of recently is that the reason why that stuff wasn't landing as much as I would like it to, I mean, there's probably ways I could deliver it better and blah, blah, blah. But you have this framework of like mindset and skill set that I realized I was skipping the mindset step and going right to the skill set step. And so I've, I've kind of uh, reoriented myself to have a little bit of a mission to maybe help other people overcome some of the mindset issues that they might have because I had probably all of them and then some when I was younger and I probably still do. So I wanted to, A, maybe you can explain that framework quickly. And then rather than us complain about all these kind of not productive mindsets, maybe we could workshop a couple ways on how you have helped other people overcome them because that's like part of your job. Yeah, totally. So for anyone who doesn't know what I do, I'm the CEO of a coaching firm called Cadence Leadership and Communication. And we work with, you know, leaders and teams all over North America about how they lead, how teams work together, um, also how people communicate. So that would be more the skill sets base and also how people take care of themselves, like the mental health in the workplace. So we break it into like leaders mindset, leaders communication, and then leaders wellness. And my background is a therapist. So I was a therapist for a decade in Vancouver, BC, where I live. And uh, I've worked in addiction and mental health. And I transitioned into the corporate world. I worked at this other company that was fine. It was whatever. Um, but I started my own company four years ago. And it was just me and you know my cell phone and a notebook. And four years later, I have a team all across North America. And we work in like major companies. And the reason I was able to do that is like I 100% push myself to expand how I think at all times. And I will, like, for example, like I'll admit on a podcast something about myself that I've tried to confront and change. And, you know, if I wrote a song about how I was at 18, about how I think people are supposed to be, I'd make the assumption at that age that I'm like that, but I'm not like that. Like, I don't know what it's like to be a 35 year old or a 46 year old in the world. Like, I know what it's like to be 18 and, and be like that. And even then I wouldn't be like that. So the way I look at it is like, I'm always trying to grow and expand my mindset and, and understand myself more so that I can understand other people more. And that's why like I can get on a podcast now and laugh at something I said five years ago and be like, that's ridiculous. And I, 
I actually believe it's my job to be like vulnerable to people and be like, oh yeah, I've been a poser. Why wouldn't I say that to people? Sure. Is there, is there like someone out there be like, whoa, that guy said he was a poser. You haven't been cool your entire life. <laughs> no, right. But no, like I want to, I, I believe it's like, I'm, I'd say I'm like the most confident I've been, ever been in my life. And that's Same. because I can realize like, oh shit, like all the stuff I've done has been based on insecurity that I've been covering up. I've been pushing my mindset to get over that. I would say I'm the most confident yet also the most aware of my faults that I ever have been. That's it. Exactly. The way that I phrase it up, if I'm going to be blunt around mindset is, oh, and, and had I talked about the company uh, in our conversation? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, the way that I'd say about mindset is you should 100% believe your own shit and be equally open to people telling you you're full of shit. It's a good way to put it. Believe your own shit. Believe that you should be in the seat that you're in. Believe that you should be able to talk to people. You should be able to lead people. That you should go and have that conversation. Be 100% convinced of it and be as equally open to someone being like, here's the, here's the falsiness in your thinking. Here's how you're coming across and here's what you should be thinking about. If you can achieve that balance between those two things, you are going to be unstoppable in life because you're always going to take the risk. You're always going to take the leap. You're going to you know, feel like I, I should achieve more. I can do more or I can be totally happy where I'm at, but I can expand how I think while also being open to really learning and learning. I know this is so like trite to say, but like there is no cooler thing than learning and like being able to reading is fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I look. That's how I look at mindset. So there's a couple specific patterns that I, that I have observed that I have been prone to myself of what 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 I would categorize as self-limiting thinking. And maybe we can talk about. I am pretty sure these are things that you have helped people overcome. You know, your job all the time. The first one is like that will never work because of things beyond my control. So I'm just going to give up and kind of pout because this thing that I want to do or that should be done, well, that'll just never work because of X, Y, Z. How would you help somebody overcome that? Well, the first thing I'd want to know is, do you do that as a way of trying to stimulate action? So this is what I call negative self-motivators. Sometimes people are like, they'll think negative things about themselves or they'll think negative things about their ideas or the things that they want to achieve as a way of stimulating a higher level of performance. Like the people that are like, oh, this one's for everybody who doubted me. And I'm like, nobody doubts you. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's it. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes people will take on a negative belief. Like I was, I'm alone in this where it's like, well, you're not alone. This like everyone loves yeah. you and wants to help you. But it, a negative self motivator helps people tap into a different kind of energy. And sometimes people apply this kind of thinking. And by the way, it can be really helpful. So I'm going to give you an example. When I started my business, I had fear I was going to fail. And I was like, oh my God, the business could fail and I could have no money and I won't have money for my daughter. And I'm going to, I'm going to crash and burn and everyone's going to make fun of me. And you know, I'll never work again. Well, all of that thinking stimulated me to work longer hours. To Forcing function. Deeper. Yeah. All of that yeah. stuff. So negative self-motivators can have a really powerful effect. Well, to me, those are all what I would call legitimate concerns, because if you you know, kind of put a lot of your chips into a business and it fails, like, you know, those are real risks. Wait, 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 let me just push on that though. Yeah. It is a legitimate concern if you didn't already have like a significant background and being able to be very successful at things. So I'll give you an example. 
when I started my own business, I was like 42 and I'd already had like a significant career at this point. Like I'd already worked for, you know, for anyone in the punk scene, like when I was in my big bands, like I already graduated university and had a professional career, which I left to go play in bands. So like those, that thinking was not based on rational thought. And in fact, my company was going to be successful because I have traditionally been very successful. Something catastrophic would have had to happen for me to, to not be successful. But the negative self-motivators were about not about being successful, but about being really successful. And I was motivating myself to higher performance. So that's the space of a negative self-motivator. So the pattern that I am trying to kind of illustrate here is the one where somebody doesn't even try the thing because they have told themselves that, oh, well, I can't do this because, you know, the boss won't let me or the other people on my team will, don't get it and they never will no matter what I say. Or, you know, I'm not even going to try to apply for that job because I know that they're going to, you know, look down on me because I have tattoos or just all this sort of stuff where they've convinced themselves that it's that it can't be done and it'll never work before they've even tried due to these things that are completely beyond their control. Totally. So the thing that I'd ask you there, so the one I was talking about is negativity or self-doubt or any of those things to enhance performance. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is negativity or self-doubt or doubt of others to stop performance, to keep you from trying. Yes. When I have people like that, I always ask them, what are you getting out of that thinking? People typically don't adopt thinking like that unless there's actually a payoff for them. So what's the payoff that someone has? So when you've done that in your life, what's the payoff that you had? Well, I would say for me, I don't think there was a payoff. I think I just held my held myself back from doing things that I should have done because I told myself that it would never work because of X, Y, Z, you know? Well, so, so for example, I can't remember specifics, but there were certain things at Creative Live, my job a couple of years ago that I wanted to do. And I just became so frustrated with people on the other teams that I was just like, yeah, I'm quite sure this would be a good idea, but I'm so fucking tired of trying to convince these people of everything that I don't think they're ever going to see things my way. And I'm just not even going to ask. So, but there's a payoff in that. And I'll give you the baseline of what it typically is. What, what I think I should have done is been more patient and said, what, what do I need to do to persuade these people? You know, and gone into it with the attitude that there is that it might be difficult, but there is a way to get these people to come around, and it's my job to find that thing. Right, but the pain of changing in your mind was more than the pain of staying the same. So changing we, in what way? So to be patient, you would have actually yeah. had to change how you at that time was impatience. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I'm impatient. And I want these things to happen right now. So if you and I were working at that time, I'd be like, well, but it doesn't have to happen right now. What if you were just more patient and you would probably fabricate reasons why something had to happen right now? Of course. Because the pain of change at that point in your career, you perceived it as more of the pain, more than more painful than staying the same. People don't like to change. People only change when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. Like it's, it costs you so much to say the same that actually mm -hmm. changing is less painful. And so when I said there was something in that kind of thinking for you, because the, th the thing, the payoff was you didn't have to go through the pain of holding up a mirror and changing in a way that you didn't want to change at the time. Does that make sense for you? Let me tell you my thought on this and you can agree, disagree, whatever. But 
I, I think there's um, I think there's an awful lot of people in our world that need to just drop the shitty attitude and believe that things can be done and go into it with a solutions minded or a mindset of searching for solutions and focusing on how to get there rather than focusing on the barriers and telling themselves that it can't be done. Dude, we're, we're totally aligned. And I agree with you 100%. But to do what you just said requires a ton of change, right? So I'll give you an example. Yeah. How do you inspire people to put in the effort to change and to turn that corner? Well, let me just give you an example. People from our world, it's easier to look at someone not from our world that you work with and be like, oh, that's just one of those like corporate blah, 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 or they're an ass kisser. Or they're just like, they're part of the system. I'll never get that promotion because so-and-so always kisses ass to the boss. Totally. Or like that. I don't play politics, which by right. the way, if you say you don't play politics, that's like the You're most- You're playing politics. It's <laughs> the most political thing you can say. And like that's come out of my own mouth. So I want to hit on this because you, you hit on something important. Yeah. People in the punk scene, and I don't want to generalize. Like, So you can be like, that's not me. Cool. That's not yeah. you. Then I'm not talking about you. We wrap ourselves with this assumption of virtue. We wrap this ourselves with this assumption of like knowing things and getting things and like we know this stuff. And a lot of that's just protective so that we don't actually have to thrive in the real world. Yep. And we look at people who thrive in the real world somehow buying into something or being corrupt. And all of that is based on the fact that if we try, we might fail. And if we fail, then we're a loser. And punks are terrified of being losers. Like we're like, well, oh, I got to protect my little, my little reputation and how I'm positioned. And I get it because yeah. I've been there, but like change is fucking painful, but the average person is more willing to change than people in the punk scene and patience, learning patience, learning not to have contempt for a system or a group of people because they're doing things better than you is hard work. And the payoff is I don't take the chance because taking the chance means I would pro I will probably have to change and changing is too painful for me. I have to give up too much. Does that now make sense the way I'm phrasing it up? It does. And you know, I I don't make it as as a as a rule, I don't try to change other people because that's mm -hmm. a recipe for <laughs> disaster. Mm -hmm. But for anybody who's listening that may want to change themselves, what would you tell them that it goes okay that that you you know you might be right it's, that does sound like me. I think I need to change, but I just, I don't have that spark that's going to make me get up and do it. What would you tell that person that might light that spark? Well, first of all, I got to tell you, how happy are you? You know, there's this like little exercise I take people through where it's about like understanding how satisfied you actually are in your life. You know, very few people are hundred percent happy. And I don't, I think it's ridiculous to expect that you'd be hundred percent happy. Yeah. But like, are you happy enough? Are you a happy person? And I could just tell you, man, for the first time, maybe in my life, I'm a happy person. Am I happy all the time? No. And so you're happy, you're happy, right? Yeah. Broadly speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Broad. That's it. Broadly speaking. Yeah. So anyone who's kind of thinking about, ah, you know, do I actually want to change? Well, first, like how fucking happy are you in your life? Like think about your life. Think about, I break it down into quadrants. Like think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about your spiritual life and spiritual life could be anything. It could be religion. It could be your internal state. Yeah. Your internal state and think about your social 
How happy are you with that? Give yourself a little rating out of 100%. Then look at the things that don't serve you anymore. What doesn't serve you? And one of the biggest things I would tell people about is who are you surrounding yourself with personally and professionally? Very few people are successful who aren't surrounded by other successful people. And I mean successful socially, successful in the community sense, successful in the work sense. If you've surrounded yourself with people who are miserable fucks, there is a high chance you are going to be a miserable fuck. Um, yep. If you've surrounded yourself with people who are like, oh, you know, the system of, you know, my work and I can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're likely going to adopt those same attitudes. This is like social norming. Surround yep. yourself with people that you admire, that you look up to. And I'd say like one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned is like, I was fucking unhappy with my life. And I had surrounded myself with these people that are like low achievers, surrounded myself with people who are fucking unhappy, filled with social anxiety. I'd surrounded myself with like tons of relationships that were punk relationships that are like yep. all based on like who's got power and influence in the scene. Yep. And a lot of the relationships that I've shed are relationships where it's like, yo, like, yeah, you're, you're kind of socially successful in the punk scene, but in life, you're just like a miserable fuck. And I don't want to, I don't want to be around you. You're mean, you're mean to people. Yep. I don't want that in my life. So like, I'd say it's like, first do an analysis. Am I happy in the quadrants of life, work, family, spiritual, social? Kind of reminds me of, uh, my dad was a, uh, you know, corrections officer. He was a counselor and people would come into his office, you know, they're, you know, getting ready to have a parole hearing at some point. And uh, he'd be like, all right, well, I'm looking at your your jacket here and it, it looks like, any, you know, my, my suggestion would be to take this anger management class and this job training program and, you know, make sure that you don't get any more infractions for this or that. And they'd be like, fuck you, man. I don't have to tell, do what you tell me. And you're not my, f and he's like, all right, yeah, you, you don't have to. You mm -hmm. can do whatever you want. I'm just saying, if you want to get paroled, this would be my suggestion, but you can do whatever you want. Bye. Dude, that's it. And like, so do the analysis across your life, figure out what's no longer serving you, like what behaviors, what attitudes, and then just really, like, and I mean, you have to do an analysis here, the analysis here, like that, what you just said that like, fuck you, I'm going to go against authority. What's well, like, well, you came to me, like, I don't fucking <laughs> care what you do. Like, you know, like, <laughs> right. like that kind of attitude is perfect. Like that serves you when you're 18 years old, right? It doesn't serve you when you're 38, you know, like. And like the, the, the situation I just described with my dad and an inmate, which, you know, to anybody listening to that, like, it's clear how like self-defeating and dumb that inmate is being. That's how a lot of us are, you know, in life in general, Dude, like people totally. are observing us and they'll be like, why are you being such a like angry child? Why don't you just not be that way? Well, you know, when I worked at the first coaching firm that I worked at before I started my own, I was all about, let's do the right things. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I used to get, cause like, by the way, like just for anyone listening, like, I know, like, I'm like, uh Oh, you know, young people know, like I was like in my fucking forties when I was acting like this, <laughs> like I would be like so self-righteous and being like, Oh, you know, the owner of the company's like this and like that. Yeah. You know, when I learned the hardest fucking lessons is when I started my own company, I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Why that guy was like that. And I was actually fucking full of shit. And I was just pointing my fingers and stamping my feet like a fucking idiot. So just to be clear, when I say young, I don't mean young as an age. I mean, young minded, like I'm acting like a child, like don't act like a child. Do a fucking self inventory. Where am I not happy? What are the behaviors that are holding you back? And then change your fucking thinking. I, I'll tell you one of the most powerful things anyone can do, surround yourself with high performers. 
like it will change your life. Like Finn, like yep. you and I reconnecting had so much to do with us both being like, oh, that's a person who's changing their life and like who's trying to aspire towards something. And like I look at you, like I literally reference you almost bi-weekly to people when I talk about someone who's taking control of their own fate. Like I like really admire what you do and that's why we're in each other's orbits again. And like, dude, surround yourself with fucking smart, hardworking people. Or if you want to be a miserable fuck who doesn't do anything in your life then surround yourself with people like that and you'll get what you're, what you're going after. But that's one of the biggest things. What would you say to somebody who is into that idea, but they have the notion that in order to be friends or like kind of have this person in their orbit, like you said, they have to know about like, you know, the same music. You're like, well, I don't know anybody that's a high achiever that also likes the same music as me. Mm. So I feel like that's kind of a, they feel like they can't relate to somebody unless they like the same music. Okay. Now this, I have to be clear with having relation points, like same kind of taste in film, music, books, like subculture, I do actually feel is, is important. And as an example, if I'm dating someone, someone who listens to like music that I think sucks and like I, and really mm. didn't grow up at all in the punk scene is actually hard for me to relate to. And I don't want to be like fraudulent about that. Like, okay. you know, that level of intimate relationship, but from like, so a, maybe it's just like whatever it takes for you to relate. Cause like, that's not at all important to me. I don't care at all. But so maybe the takeaway is like, whatever it is that you need to relate to somebody, you know, that's okay. Whatever you need to relate to someone, but so you, you, you hit on something though, like it depends on the kind of relationship. Someone who is like a business mentor to me, I don't care what they listen to. I oh, okay. care I see. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. all. Someone who is in my circle of like friendship, it matters to me more. And it doesn't matter to me more like I couldn't be friends with someone, but like there's like a degree of friendship that there's going to be there with someone who comes from the scene. But you know what I yep. can't handle? I'd rather someone like the shittiest music, but be like a nice person who's embracing life than someone who listens to cool music and is a shitty person who's like shutting life out. I don't want to sit around and talk about who sucks in the scene. Like I already know who sucks in the scene or, or I don't care. <laughs> or I, like, don't, I don't know what I want to know. There's somebody that... Like there's someone, uh, and, and I want to tell her this, but I don't, it's, it feels like it would be weird to tell her this, but there's somebody that I haven't spoken to in person in about 10 years. Mm -hmm. I didn't know her particularly well when I lived in Cincinnati, but I'm Facebook friends with her and we don't have a lot in common as far as lifestyle or interests or anything like that. It's just somebody I know from school and everything she posts on Facebook makes me so happy. Mm. It's the most just like basic stuff and i it just makes me so happy because yeah. she just has such positive energy she's so happy about just like simple stuff like having coffee with her husband or something like that that's such a great example to me of like what i personally respond to is somebody's energy and whether we have the same interests or not is really to me not important yeah and, and i agree with that and i think it's different for everyone like i i typically need to feel there's some kind of interest so if someone's into running it's easier for me to connect with them or if they're into cycling or, you know, obviously if they're into punk music or, or whatever it is. Meanwhile, I know hundreds of people who I'm Facebook friends with that like the same stuff as I do. And I just want to unfollow all of them because <laughs> I don't want to hear anything they have to say. Well, and this is this thing, like, again, I don't want to sound like I'm being super negative about punk because I love punk and hardcore, but I'll just be like, yo, like there's a fucking toxicness of being too within group. Like, you yeah. got to remind yourself you're in a big, beautiful world full of different kinds of people. And like, 
you got to step outside of it because that's where you find like a lot of the the ways you can think about things differently, do do things differently. And like, I definitely have like tons of friends that are, or a good group of friends that are from the punk scene, but even then to a fucking person, they are involved in lots of other shit. They're, um, they're out there. They're like trying different stuff. And one of the things that I hear from people a lot is like, God, Ram, like you got so much guts, like you do so much stuff. You take so many leaps. You're not afraid. Well, yo, most people aren't <laughs> like, like yeah, right. most people in the normal world will do all of this shit and they won't think twice about it. People in the punk scene can be very fearful of like stepping out of line, looking bad, not being cool. One of the coolest things that can happen to you is not being cool in the punk scene because it gives you a freedom to do whatever the fuck you want. Well, as I always say, you didn't get into bands called Hate Breed, Death Threat, and Terror because you're happy and everything's okay. Totally, man. <laughs> like, and like, do I love Hate Breed? Fuck yeah, I love Hate Breed. I have two Hate Breed tattoos after all. Totally. But here's the thing about Jamie Josta. The difference between him being like a cultural icon, which I believe he is because he's like a yeah. super cool, super successful guy, and him being a cringy dude is the fact that Hatebreed and him has been so successful. What if he yep. was that guy who went and did all these things and put himself in the spotlight, but didn't become successful? The punk scene would probably be like, now that guy's trying to be fucking famous, blah, blah, blah. Yep. But because he became famous, people were like, oh, Jamie Josta, you know, blah, blah. Oh yeah, best. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, listen, the difference between acceptance and not acceptance in the punk scene typically has to be with like how much perceived acceptance you've gotten from the outside world. Why don't you fucking step outside of that shit and just do whatever you want with an ethical mind frame and be fucking happy and also like sick bands. So the the other pattern of thinking that uh, I, I see in other people because I saw it in myself when I was younger, I focused, I spent a lot of time being angry about things that are pretty much out of my control about the man, about the system. And it's not that I was wrong about those things. You know, for example, when I was 15, I was like very anxious about climate change. And I wrote a bunch of stuff in my zines about it and stuff. And I was right. Uh, everything I said when I was 15 about climate change, I, I still believe, you know, or that teachers were dumb and they didn't get it or whatever. These sort of bigger issues that are kind of outside my, uh, my direct control. And in hindsight, I feel like I spent a whole lot of energy being angry about those things and kind of screaming at a wall uh, rather than channeling that energy into making myself, doing things that I could directly affect that could make myself happy or happier. So I, I feel like that's kind of what we we're talking about before with the sick of it all, born against debate about sort of not choosing your battles wisely and misallocating your energy. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. This is what I deal with people all day, every day with. It's like, why are you wasting your time on this? Yeah. How do you sort of get people to snap out of that and focus their time and their very limited time and energy on the stuff that will actually make them happier? I, I just say, what's the, what's the value? Like when you ask someone to say, okay, what's the value proposition of spending five minutes or five days or five weeks or five months on this? Like, what's the actual value of making this push or being this argument or being or making this argument or being this this angry? Like, tell me the series of events that are going to happen that are going to make it valuable for you and others that you're doing this. For example, making 50 angry Facebook posts about this social issue that you feel strongly about. Dude, this is like a tough one for real, because like we live in such charged times and 
people are upset and they have a right to be upset. I mean, they're I'm upset. Wrong. Yeah, they're yeah, not they're, they're not, not wrong. They're not wrong. It is really tough to see people being in this like echo chamber of ideas and like feeling like I have to repost this, I have to repost that. And I'm I'm not saying don't do that or that that's mm-hmm. a waste of time. What I'd say is to some degree like you should do some, some of it if you feel that's what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But all of the extra time that you would spend doing that, like I was seeing people, I had to literally get off social media because it's just like people were posting this insane amount about stuff. And it was like all my, all my people, my network were all posting the same things. Listen, I get it. Like I totally get it. And there's nothing wrong with it. But I got to tell you, like the energy, the anxiety, all the stuff that you're putting into posting 10 things instead of posting three things, why don't Mm -hmm. you take the effort for those other seven things and just apply it to something else. Like you've hit the maximum level of, of efficiency that you're going to have with what you've done. And the value has already been achieved. The marginal return on additional outrage is zero. It actually might be negative. Well, I got to say like nothing is more precious than time. And I, I know people who are a bit older start saying that because they're like, holy shit, like I just burnt 30 years being like <laughs> whatever ridiculous ways you're going to be. But I, I'll just tell you, like as a guy, in my life where I've made some huge gains, like massive, like I've done some stuff that I don't talk about often because it sounds ridiculous and kind of braggadario, but I've done some fucking cool shit in my life that I'm super proud of. But I have made so many mistakes and wasted so much fucking time on so many things where I think of where I could be versus where I am now. I'm super proud and I'm super grateful for what I've done. And for anyone who ever wants to like learn more about what I've done or ask how I do it. Yeah. Hit me up. I'm well, most people, and I can't say I promise everyone I'll talk to them, but I'm happy to talk about my path to where I've gotten. Do you have like a PDF of like your accomplishments all ready to go? Like bullet points, (laughs) stack ranked, (laughs) just to put it in perspective, like the industry that I'm in is chock a block full of like Joe blow inspirational guy or whatever. Like, I charged in on my own with having a background only working at some corny ass company for five years. And I have really positioned myself in a place where I can have 10 people who work for me in a four year period. And like, that's a huge thing. Like we've become Mm -hmm. a go-to company. I've developed a whole level of like intellectual property that's based on like real stuff. Like that's incredibly hard to do. And when people hear about the story, they're like, Oh, wow, that's cool. But it's like, no, like that, that was hard work and I really like feel incredibly proud of it and very grateful. But on the flip side, I look at my age, I look at where I'm at and I'm like, man, if I hadn't burnt like five years doing this, or if I hadn't let that happen, or if I hadn't let this happen, I could have done so much. I could have created so much more change. I could have like impacted lives so much more. There is literally nothing more valuable than time. Every single thing that you're burning time on right now, you have to weigh the value. And I got to just say, like what I say to people often is like whatever people are getting really worked up about or really focused on, especially in the workplace, like this needs to happen. This has to happen. Well, what's the value? Like you tell me if this plays out exactly how you want it, everything happens exactly how you want. What's the actual value? And you know, whether or not you're full of shit, whether or not you can answer the question versus whether or not you have to scratch your head looking for it. Hem and ha. Always place the highest expectation on value, like the return on, on investment of your time. Because if you do that, you will enjoy your life and your professional career beyond the beyond. So to me, what that means, you know, there's some people that would hear everything you said and be like, well, how can you 
worry about building a business and hiring people and all this stuff when fill in the blank bad thing is happening in the world, mm. which I think is a, you know, I mean, I, I feel that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I would say, would 50 Facebook posts from you going out to your echo chamber of people who already agree with you, would that actually, you know, to your point of what's the value, would that actually have made a difference in this cause? If, if it would have, maybe you should do it. But uh, I would argue that 99 times out of 100, it wouldn't actually make a difference and that you're only doing it selfishly to scratch this like primate itch that we have to scream. I'm up and down on that because there is like, I think there's an importance of people being unified in their thinking, especially around like tragedy or fear and, and being in that space. And I know like it's easy for us to be like, oh, everybody did this thing on Instagram and everyone's doing it. And like, what a bunch yeah. of, you know, what a bunch of losers and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, I, I think there's like value in people expressing like remorse or fear or sadness. Well, but it's not all or nothing. Right. What I would say, and also like, I just want to be clear. Like if we talk about things like racism in the workplace, and I'm not saying this to, to for people to not do this, but I see people yeah. like volunteer on like diversity councils. And I see people like, you know, petition their bosses to get like diversity inclusion training. And I've also been behind the scenes in the, in the business conversations that go on in the background and where all the business or businesses will be like, yeah, that's great. You'll put in that work. And then the decisions are made in the background that are like probably some of the most racist decisions you could possibly make. Sure. And I, I will say that like watching companies right now, how they position themselves around all the social change has been happening. It's like, you're only literally doing this right now because you know there's virtue big, signaling. Well, and there's a bigger profit margin in doing that. Like companies Woke didn't capitalism. Yeah. Companies didn't care about um, people from the LGBTQ community 30 years ago. They actually actively or even 10 years ago. It's well, like, this isn't like, this isn't news. No, they actively discriminated against them and still actively discriminate now, but they recognize the face of it is more profitable to go the yep. other way. Which is why it was so respectable when Benetton did it in like 1990, when that was a fucking risky ass move. Huge, huge move. I don't want to say like nothing matters because of course everything matters. If one thing matters, everything matters. And I get it. What I'd say is like invest your time where you know it can make a difference. And one yep. of the places it can make the, the biggest difference is when you become the decision maker. Yep. So- I want to talk. I think that's a great point. Well, when I worked at someone else's company, like this is where I laugh at like burning time. So I worked at this other dude's company, this guy Bart, who grew up rich, like grew up never knowing, not, he didn't know what it's like to not be able to make your rent. He didn't get, grew up rich, grew up, bought his mom's company from, from his mom, who is a nightmare human being. And he is a nightmare, rich kid, asshole boss. And I spent years confronting this dude's thinking like, Hey, we can't, you know, we need to have like a more diverse culture. We need to be like this. We need to be like that. Did that make a difference? Sure. Yeah. The company went on to be a much better version of what it, what it went. Now the time and effort that I put into doing that, I could have taken like to force and force a shitty dude to be less slightly less shitty. Yeah. I could have taken that effort and made a much bigger impact in the community. I could have reinvested that in so many different things. And really what I could have reinvested in is starting my own company two years sooner than I did. And I'll tell you that like my company now, like the company that I run, I have never been prouder to work with a group of people. They're like ethically like 
totally sound. They push my thinking. I believe we have a really cool company culture where people feel like supported that like we're honest, we've got integrity. Fuck, I could have had that company two years older if I, or two years earlier and I could employ more people than that. Like I could have had a bigger team. So I don't want to say the time that I spent trying to make the shitty dude less shitty wasn't useful time because mm-hmm. I know it had continues to have a good impact in that workplace, but that workplace could only get as good as it could get. It's like kind of got like a, a finite amount that it could be pushed. And I just try to keep pushing it beyond that. It's like, dude, nowhere to cap your effort and reinvest it. And like, I can't tell someone to not post 50 times on Facebook. I don't know what that serves for them. But what yeah. I will say is like, yo, your effort to create good in this world, to create real change is so massive. But if you are burning it on something that has a really finite cap of, of like what you're going to achieve in it, then you are burning daylight. You're wasting your life. Why do that? The best thing you can do is become the decision maker. The best thing you can do is move into the position of an, of influence where you can help real things happen with less effort. Well, I think that's a great way of answering that question because, and I feel like I haven't done a good job of explaining this. You know, what I, I feel like I have come across as telling people not to care, and mm-hmm. that's not at all what I'm saying. It's It's more of... I guess what I'm trying to tell people is invest your time wisely. As you said, I, I think you should absolutely care. I want you to do things that will actually make a difference. And I, I think a lot of people end up uh, doing things that not only don't really make a difference, but just poison their own happiness with like anger. Totally. Well, and so the reason I said like, hey, I shouldn't, I'm not going to tell someone to not post 50 times on Facebook because I don't know what that serves for them. Like it could serve all sorts of things for them, including yeah. maybe their like weird uncle learn like, you know, in, in wherever the hell like learns a lesson. And if that actually helps, then yeah. great. I think most of the time it doesn't, but if it does, so be it. Or it could be an expression of despair because people like understandably feel really bad right now. And there is this just like raw despair. Like I, I, I get it. And I don't want to say one way or another, but what I will say is like our ability to do more with our time is so tied to how we value the outcome. You know, I'm like, was my life's purpose to make someone else's shitty company less shitty? No, right. my life <laughs> yeah. purpose is not fucking that. Did you make a difference? Yes. But yeah, is that really what you were here to do? Totally. And let's say I helped that company get 20% better at their company culture, like the company that I was working in. They got 20% better. Hey, that's a huge yeah. gain. But there is a diminishing value at some point where it's like maybe they could get 22% better. But the effort I would have to get put in to get that extra 2% is not worth the fucking investment. I should do something else where I yeah. can create bigger and stronger change. And it's like, like, stop playing small. Stop with the race to the yeah. bottom. You know, like play big get into a position of influence, become the decision maker, and then change the world for real. I want to talk about you for a second, Finn, if I can. Yes. Okay. When you started doing stuff, where you started talking about bands that were terrible, that everyone else was like, that band is so horrible. Yeah. The reason why I took such note of it, I was like, yo, that is so cool that someone is willing to be like, oh, I love this band. And, and arguably, yes, maybe their band is actually sucks, but I actually love their band because of A, B, and C. Yeah. Your arguments were always so coherent and dead on. It actually, it actually gave me courage to stop being such a coward about things and stop like, looking over my shoulders and trying to like fit in with people so much. 
Because, by the way, people are going to talk shit no matter what. That's it, man. There's no correlation between trying to fit in and getting the approval of whoever. It's just like you said, like, it's did, did Hatebreed succeeded and that's why they get praised, mm-hmm. you know? And if they were still a shitty local band, then everyone would make fun of Jamie. So there's yeah. no correlation between trying to please the gatekeepers and actually pleasing them. Well, and also like, just to speak about gatekeepers, like the funny thing is like, let's say me five years ago, I'd be like, oh, fucking gatekeepers. But also it's like, dude, let's just be fucking real. Like people critique gatekeepers because we're not gatekeepers, right? And like, I don't want to be a gatekeeper, but like, I can definitely think like, wow, it must be kind of neat to have that level of social power. And like, at the end of the day, hey, Aram, do you want a gatekeeper to like your band? I'd be like, oh yeah, that would be cool if a gatekeeper liked my band but they're not going to, they're going to think my bands are clownish and stupid. And like, cause that's what they do. But I don't want to be negative towards them because it's yeah. an enviable social position and I totally get it. And there's inherent power. And yeah, I mean, if you're the sort of person that has an empty spot in your soul mm-hmm. that needs to be filled that way, then that's, and so be it. I got to challenge that though. I know people who would be considered gatekeepers who aren't bad people. Maybe I think they're bad people because I don't like how they've treated me. To me, gatekeeper is inherently negative. That means you're a negative asshole to people who mean well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're an insecure person who puts other people down to make you feel, make yourself feel better. So that's like an inherently negative term in the way that I use it. Totally. But let me push on that. Those people aren't like that to their cousin or to their niece or to their daughter or to like their best friend who they give a free pass to. And it's sure the idea that those people are in and of themselves are bad is like, I don't call people bad people. No, I think oh, no, in no. some, you know, in some situation, you know, most human behavior is contextual. Just like we talked about with these thugs, like there's people who are some of my best friends. People are like can't believe you're friends with that guy. He did so and so and broke my friend's face for no reason. I'm like, I'm sure he did, and that sounds shitty, but I don't know what to tell you. Totally, man. That's it. And I'm not saying you say that people are like this or bad. I'm saying like gatekeepers, like people have this like negative thing about it where it's like, I I get it. I understand it. It can be an enviable social position. What I'd encourage is just like, essentially, it's someone who understands the the benefit of influence. Mm -hmm. They're using their influence in a way that is historically stupid. Like, 40 years from now, nobody's going to care who a gatekeeper is in any scene. It's like yeah. that person told you who, you know, what you're allowed to like, or you yeah. wanted to get that person's approval. It's a, an infinitely useless thing, but it, it's yeah. an enviable social position. I understand why someone might, would, might want that. Yes. Totally. What I'm saying is like enter into a truly useful position of influence where like you can make actual change. So I want to go back to you for a second. This is where I think you've made some actual change, at least for me your daringness to just like what you like and write about it and talk about it. And you're the daring that you've had to position yourself. You've actually literally helped me calm down. And like my respect and affirmation for what you've admiration for what you've done is like way beyond like, Oh, that's a cool thing. It's more like, Oh, this is how you can just be into what you're into in the world and be okay with getting criticized. And I, I I just want to give you that appreciation because it's been super inspirational to me. Well, I, I, I've heard other people say the same thing and, you know, that makes me feel good or that, you know, that I, you know, something I said made someone realize that they were being a bit of a gatekeeper and that maybe they should chill out or, you know, the thing that really makes me happy and I won't say who it was, but there's one particular band that, uh, I praised in a video where I know that the people in that band, like, were like, I think they kind of had a little bit of PTSD because of because they were like teenagers when they were in the band and people said the most awful like shit about their appearance. Like, 
you know, if you were 16 and you had like all these like people on like Vice and Pitchfork and stuff like making fun of the way you look, you know, that could leave a real mark. And they didn't want to talk about or think about this band for like years and years and years. And then after I made the video, they were like, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm okay with like, I'm kind of proud of that thing we did now mm-hmm. because I've had enough distance and I'm, you know, the video made me realize that there's a lot of people that liked what we did and it made people happy. And I, I I'm proud of it now. I, it's, I look back on it fondly now and that made me happy to hear. Well, it's interesting because stuff that you've talked about with specific bands has made me revisit those bands through the scope that you've presented about them. And that's the interesting thing. It's like, if you can look at something without contempt and the contempt that just happens to be attached to the social scene that you just happen to fall into, it's like, okay, when I was a kid, I wasn't given like, okay, Ram, which, which of the subcultures do you want to go to? Do you (laughs) you want to do this, that? I just fell into what I fell into. And of course, I think what I fell into is the coolest shit. Like I got into hard, I got into punk and hardcore via skateboarding. Okay, that's the ultimate story in my mind. Everything else is fucking lame. Really? That's some <laughs> bullshit, man. And like when you're able to look at something through the scope of someone else's appreciation, yes. it allows you to appreciate it. And dude, there are bands that I still think I wouldn't listen to, but I can sure. appreciate what they've done based on your videos, which I think is like, what an incredible gift you give to people by doing that. I don't like a lot of the stuff that I talk about and praise. Like I wouldn't personally listen to it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't matter. It's not about what I personally like or don't like. I still want to, if there's a hundred thousand people that like something, I would like to understand why. Mm-hmm. So what you do for bands, I apply to like a lot of stuff in the workplace. Where Basically what I do is I talk about bands the way that I have always approached business. Mm. The first assumption, like I'm getting big into first principles thinking these days. Mm -hmm. And one of them is that you should never start by looking at a business that's something they did and assume that the people running the company are evil and or stupid. Yes. And it's the same thing as like, you shouldn't look at a band and assume that everyone who likes them is stupid. Mm -hmm. Like you should assume that, well, maybe they see something I don't. And in business, like, hmm, why did they do this? Why did they make buy this company? Or why did they do this to their product? They're not evil and they're probably not stupid. They're probably operating under constraints that you're not aware of. And if you were in that situation, it's very likely that you would have made the same call that they did. Totally. And it's also about assuming that what someone what what someone's doing that they view as being inherently wrong. Like, you know, when it comes to pipelines, um, I remember I was working with a pipeline company. And I was dating uh, this person at the time and they had said, how can you work with that company? And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, everyone there. So like unethical, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you and I socially know people, like just personally know people who are 10 times more unethical than anything I've seen in any of those business meetings. Like the way they act towards people, like (laughs) say and do like. Fill in the blank person and fill in the blank band. Well, not even bands. I was just like, I, I remember laughing. I was like, this person, this person, this person are three of the most like shittiest human beings I've ever met that you and I both know. Right. And instead of focusing on them, you're focusing on this like trope of this pipeline company. And I'm not making a big push for pipeline companies, the good, the pro or the cons. But what I can say is like, I have worked with companies that are like pipeline companies or energy companies or this company or that company where I have met people who are literally the cartoon version of like Monty Byrne, like, you know, the life version of like a cartoonish guy where it's like, oh, you actually are, you know, what you're (laughs) doing is bad and you don't fucking care. But way more often, 99% of the time I'm meeting people who believe in what they're doing and they actually think what they're doing is the right thing. Mm -hmm. 
And you can agree or disagree with that. Attributing motive to other people, I think, is one of the worst patterns of distorted thinking. Totally. And looking at something, it's like, oh, well, someone, they already know that what they're doing is wrong. So everything they do is just an extrapolation of evil. Where it's like, no, 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 wait yeah. a second. They don't actually think what they're doing is wrong. They think yep. what they're doing, it, they're either neutral on it, but more likely than not, they think what they're doing is cool and right and important. Mm -hmm. But the decisions they're, they're making are based on that logic, on what I'm doing is actually like a good thing or a right thing, or this will make a difference. I think there are very few just genuinely like, uh, like bad people or people who go out. Misanthropic, yeah. just shitheads. There are not very many of them. Totally. And like, I, I'd say this thinking around the business world, I, you just hit it perfectly. It's like this assumption that everyone's like so evil. It's like- Or stupid. Or stupid. Yeah. It may seem so crazy from the outside, but you're like, yeah, but what you didn't know is that there's this issue with the supply chain and this regulatory issue, and we owe this, we have this much debt. So we kind of had to do things this way. And you're like, oh, all right. Yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. I get it. Well, have you ever heard of the Gottmans? There are, there are a couple of psychologists. No. Okay, they're marriage counselors. They have this uh, way of looking at relationships and they call it the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse. And it's about how relationships can decay uh, through different things. And one mm. of them is contempt. I believe one of the worst things that you can do in the world is carry contempt uh, in general and, and use contempt in the way that you look at the world. And I'm not saying there aren't things that des are deserving of contempt sure. or even broad contempt, of course. But the application of contempt in this kind of like wanton way is like such a limiting factor of being like a useful human being in the world. And some people could refer to this as like othering, you know, using like mm -hmm. looking at people and like being like, well, they're like this, they're like that. And that's kind of reducing their humanity. I, I would say I'd look at it through the four horsemen of the relationship uh, framework where it's like, if you have contempt for people, it allows you to put them on a lower space and you on an elevated platform yep. and you can reduce their humanity and view them just through the lens of your really cartoonish belief of what they're about. Mm -hmm. And that's how people look at business. That's how people look at people within the business. And it's also like the most limiting shit you could do for yourself because then you're yep. afraid to try things because you don't want to be like that. And you're going to miss all kinds of opportunities because you're seeing things in a distorted way. Mm -hmm. 100%. If you're not perceiving reality as it is, then it's going to be very difficult for you to make good decisions. Yeah. So these are what we call maladaptive responses. So like adaptive responses is like you're making decisions based on good data and then you're making a good decision. A maladaptive response is you get good data, but you refuse to interact right. with the data like it's good data and then you make a Your bad decision. Your algorithm is broken. Yeah. And like, dude, I, for, around careers and people who grow up in kind of like the indie scene, like punk scene, indie scene, whatever you want to call it. It's like, yo, stop looking at all this good data through this corrupt lens. Look at good data like good data and then make a, an adaptive decision about it. And, and one of those worst decisions is the assumption that people are corrupt or stupid when in fact they probably think they're doing the ethical thing and they're very, very smart. Well, I could go on about this forever with you. I always enjoy these conversations, but I have another podcast coming up soon, so I should uh, cut this one short and I'm sure you've got other things to do. Always wonderful to talk to you. Uh, anything, any words of wisdom or other stuff you would like to leave the folks with before I let you go? Yeah, I, I, I'd say first, man, thank you so much. Uh, for this. And also thank you for what you do. And for anyone who, who doesn't know, like Finn and I go back a, a ways, but we really came into know each other more so as like professionals is when we really developed more of a relationship. And I find what you do so inspirational. It's really helped me. It's really helped me with like 
my own sense of like esteem. So, cause it's, it's helped me challenge myself about how I position myself in my business. So first, thank you very much for everyone else. It's simplest thing. Give yourself some mercy and give other people mercy. You are going to fuck up. You're going to say stupid things. You're going to look bad. You're going to cheat on your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to lose a job. You're going to take the wrong job, like whatever it is for the love of whatever you believe in, give yourself some mercy. You're just a human being trying to figure it out. But at the same time, give other people mercy. Everybody is just trying to figure it out. Some people we give more leeway to others, but everyone, I believe, or at least most people are deserving some level of mercy for what they've done. Unless they like the later Shelter albums. That never speak to me again. Go away. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time and uh, always happy to talk to you and we'll cross paths soon, I'm sure. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time. A secular religion, if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.